So uh, what I want to do in this uh, in this talk is try to uh, kind of bring together some of the stuff that some of the ideas that we've been talking about or that I've been talking about on Sunday morning with the live stuff. And uh, I'm going to try really hard today to see if I can watch the comments. Um, so if there are questions that come up, maybe I can answer those in real time. Um, not making promises there. <laughs> So, um, so let's start. Let's. Uh, I put in the notes that we were going to talk about uh, alchemy, intuition, Christ, and the New Age. So that's a, that's a lot of topics. Um, <laughs> but again, I'm going to try to bring together uh, a, a little bit of what I've been talking about. <clears throat> I got some pushback, uh, not not in a bad way, um, not in a bad way at all. But I got some pushback on uh, the stuff I shared a couple weeks ago about the ego, which I knew I would. Uh, because it, it kind of cuts against the grain of what's sort of fad or, or popular in, in spirituality. Uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to go over all that again. Um, but my goal is, uh, in sharing and talking with people is number one, to help people heal. Number two, to help people think. And number three, to give people stuff that really works for them in their lives. One of the discussions that came up on a group that I'm a part of, um, I won't say which group because I didn't get permission from the, leader of the group to talk about it wasn't one of mine but one of the discussions that came up was uh this idea that a lot of you know eastern spirituality buddhism in particular was the the issue uh the the, the core teaching of it was about how to alleviate suffering about how to uh, get away from suffering and so this whole idea of detaching and a lot of this idea about ego and stuff like that what is designed to deal with suffering. And so, you know, one of the ideas, the, uh, in Hinduism, they have a concept called Maya. And Maya is the world that's before you. It's the illusion that is before you. <clears throat> and the idea is that it's all illusion. Uh, in, in certain shamanic traditions, it might be that it's all, it's all just a dream. And so if something really terrible or horrible happens, then you're supposed to stand back and realize this isn't real. This is an illusion. And by detaching from it and realizing that it's a lie and realizing that it's an illusion, um, then that's supposed to end your suffering. Now, that may be a good skill to have to end your suffering. I don't know. There are certain tragedies that happen in life. I don't know how you detach from it and say, oh, this isn't real. But that's not necessarily, at least in my opinion, that's not necessarily going to solve your problem. And one of the problems that we have in spirituality and in religion across the board, a human tendency, is we oftentimes try to escape from life. We, we, we try not to fully or we don't want to fully engage in life. And this, this happens really young. So if you think about it, when you're really, really little, little uh, you start out uh, with needs, wants, and desires. And if we could just be honest that the basis of our biological life, the basis of our life in this world, the basis, the foundation of it, is needs, wants, and desires. Now, Abraham Maslow, the great psychologist of the last century, basically said, if you don't get your needs met in a certain order, you, you know, his hierarchy of human need, if you don't get your needs met in a certain order, you won't be able to self-actualize. Or... In order to self-actualize, and by self-actualizing, that means releasing the fullness of who you came here to be, releasing the fullness of your potential to, 
to, to live a genuine, authentic, powerful life in this world that leads to satisfaction and fulfillment. That was the goal of self-actualization. And I think in order to do that, you have to have a very strong ego. But he, he would say that in order to self-actualize, your needs had to be met. That what would prevent you from living authentically and powerfully would be if certain needs, wants, and desires weren't met at different levels. So, for example, if you are... Um, uh, if you come here from another country, or if you're just living um, in a financial, any kind of a financial hardship, and when I'm talking about financial hardship, I'm talking about to feed your family. So I know a lot of people who migrated here, and oftentimes what happens is the mom ends up in a single home situation. She's working two jobs, 80 hours a week, minimum wage, to try to make ends meet for her family. Her life is being totally controlled and dictated to by the her boss or her bosses. Um, whether or not she gets to spend time with her kids, whether or not she can work with them on their homework, those kinds of things is dictated by the need the financial need, or the safety and security need. So she has no time to think about spirituality, no time or energy or anything left. Um, she's not even getting her own social emotional needs met because when she's not at work, she's at home taking care of the kids and the family. So she's got very little time to invest in her own social and emotional needs, which would be the next level that you're going to. And until those needs are kind of met, you can't get to the top of Maslow's hierarchy where there's uh, self actualization, where the self that you are, the life that you came here to live. And so what happens is, or, or what the, the point I'm trying to make, I'm jumping ahead of myself. The point I'm trying to make is if we could just be honest that our needs, wants, and desires are the foundations of our behavior and our spiritual evolution in this life and in this incarnated Body, Because until we are able to resolve a lot of those needs, wants, and desire um, issues, particularly as they relate to survival, but also as they relate to whatever our personal preferences are, we're stuck uh, in this loop of oftentimes we get blocked. This is what I'm trying to say. We get blocked in ha having those needs, those wants, or those desires met. These obstacles come up in our life and we get blocked. And when we get blocked, the most natural thing in the world for us to do is to either become afraid or become angry. Two primary emotions. Let's just take, let's just be honest. Let's take love and light out of this. Let's just look at human nature and human psychology and realize that two primary emotions that we experience more often than love and light, particularly growing up, is going to be fear and uh, anger. So, for example, uh, let's say that uh, Susie, and well, I always pick Susie as a name, but uh, not talking about you, Susie, if, if and when you watch this. <laughs> That's a friend of mine. Uh, so, Susie uh, grows up in a house. She's the firstborn. Um, she's four years old, and pretty soon, little Tommy is born. And in Susie's world, she got all the attention. She got all the attention from mom and dad. She got all the attention from grandma and grandpa, the aunts and uncles. 
She was the center of attention. Anytime she cried, mom was there. Now, all of a sudden, Tommy's there, and Tommy's getting all the attention. Tommy's being picked up. Susie could cry and scream for mom, and mom's telling her to shut up, to grow up. So her need, her want for that attention from mom is being blocked. It's being stopped. So what happens to Susie? Well, Susie may be, you know, at four years old, get a little bit afraid. What's going to happen to me now that Tommy's here? Uh, are my needs going to get mad because mom's not responding as quickly? So maybe there's fear there. But certainly there's going to be a temper tantrum, right? Certainly there's going to be anger. There's going to be rage. There's going to be this kind of stuff that's going to come up because her um, need, want, desire, whatever it is, was blocked. Now, if that happens often enough, she has to adapt, now, how does she adapt? Now, at four years old, what she wants to do, what she wants to do is drown little Tommy in the bathtub, let's be honest. Or she wants to put little Tommy in a, in a mail package and mail him to the North Pole or something. I mean, her instinctual drive is going to be, uh, I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I need. And this person is causing that. This person is blocking that. And so I just need to deal with this person. I just need to, to you know, solve this problem very simply. But obviously she can't do that. She can't do that within the family. She can't do that within the society. So she has to adapt. So she's gone from this primal level. Here's what I want you to see. She's gone from this very basic primal level of need, want, and desire, and then anger and frustration and fear because that need, want, and desire has been blocked, to now she has to go to a secondary level of adaptation, to try to deal with that energy. She's still got that energy. She's still got that impulse. She still has that emotion within her to want to fulfill that need, want, and that desire. But because it's been blocked, now she's frustrated. So now she has to come up with other ways to try to deal with Tommy. And then you have, you can watch this pattern throughout childhood develop that we call sibling rivalry, where, uh, maybe she does mean things. Uh, maybe she, you know, um, is just generally mean as an older sister to Tommy. Why is she mean to Tommy? Well, that meanness, that mean streak that's coming out in her is coming out in her on a secondary level of adaptation because her initial need, want, and desire has been blocked or stopped or not met. Now, this happens. You can see the scenario play out throughout life. Uh, I don't want to do my homework. Uh, I don't want to study for a test. I mean, the more people that get involved the more that your mind grows and expands, the more your brain grows and expands, the more that you grow up throughout life, the more complex these situations become. The more needs, wants, and desires that you're going to find that you have and want, and the more obstacles there are going to be towards getting those met, and so the more you're going to have to adapt. So that much of the personality and much of the emotion, much of the stuff that's going on inside you is the direct result of how you and I are adapting when we don't get our needs, wants, and desires met and how we are dealing with blocks to those things on an emotional level, on a mental level, and on the mental of our behaviors. And a person can become so blocked... A person can become so blocked, they can become so used to not getting their needs, wants, and desires met. They can become so used to feeling defeated. They can become so frustrated. They can become so angry. But then we're in a society where uh, you're, it's not okay to be angry 
We're in a religion where it's not okay to be angry. We're in a religion where it's not okay to have needs, wants, and desires. Um, and or, or we're in a religion that teaches us those needs, wants, and desires are invalid because they become attachments. You're attached to these things. So you can see how uh, some of these spiritual traditions developed out of practicality to alleviate suffering, maybe not revelation from God. Here's what I mean by that. If I'm attached to an outcome and I can't get that outcome, then I am going to be frustrated, I am going to be angry, and I am going to suffer. And so the answer becomes twofold. The answer becomes, number one, let go of your attachment. If you let go of your attachment to it, then you can find some emotional freedom and you're not you're not clinging to that. Does that make sense? Uh, the other possibility is to say, let's become adaptable, find out what the need, want, and desire really is, and then find out other means and methods of overcoming the obstacle, overcoming the block, so that you can have that need, want, and desire met. And once it's met, then guess what? You're free from it. It's not driving you anymore. Now you're moving on to the next thing. And so there are actually, from what I understand, not an expert, not a student of Buddhism. So again, I'm, I'm speaking very tentatively. I'm not trying to characterize Buddhism as a path or, or practice or religion. But I do know from talking to people who have practiced it that there is the pathway of detachment. Uh, but there is also a pathway within Tibetan Buddhism where they learn to fulfill the desire, where, where the freedom from desire is to have those desires fulfilled. Now, where I think Buddhism has an advantage to Christianity is that in Christianity we were taught all our needs, wants, and desires come out of a wicked heart, comes out of comes out of this evil place. Uh, and you can say, well, I never bought into that, or I'm glad I wasn't a Christian, or whatever. But I'm going to tell you right now, the whole Western world. If you, you want to read a good book on it, uh, read. Uh, uh, I think the guy's name is James Finley. I'm not sure if I got the name right, but it's a book called Born Bad, and he looks at all the historical and sociological implications of Augustine's. Uh, belief in original sin and how it has affected everything from our democracy and the way our democracy was set up to the family to psychology, how it's just infiltrated the entire Western world. So as a rule, whether you believe in original sin or not, I'm going to tell you that your mind has been impacted by the spell of original sin so that we have a tendency to deny our needs, wants, and desires, or we believe that somehow they're wicked and they're evil. So now we're trying to change something at a core level. So this is the problem with, with religion and spiritual practices. Even spiritual practices that are not Christian can begin with the summation or the premise that you are broken, that you are fallen, that there is something wrong with you, that you have a low vibration. They'll use different language. Your vibration is low. Uh, your carnal, you, you think only about this world, whatever kind of language they might use. But a lot of it begins with the idea that I have to improve myself. I need something. The entire marketing world, the entire marketing world is based upon tapping into needs, wants, and desires, and then providing services or products that will meet those needs, wants, and desires so that your needs, wants, and desires for money can get met. So so this whole exchange within society, within economy, within families, everywhere boils down to need, want, and desire. But we seem to, in spiritual communities, 
to not want to talk or be honest about what's really going on with us. We demonize anger. We say anger. If you have anger, it's not love and light. If you have fear, it's not love and light. It's something. It's low vibrations. No, it's very basic, unavoidable human emotions. And, and, and they can be unpleasant emotions. And so oftentimes what comes along, oftentimes what happens to us is we get into spiritual practices that become nothing more than, uh, or less than a spiritual bypass. And here's what I mean by that. It becomes a way for us to look outside ourselves to escape the fact, the reality that for many of us, we are not living fulfilled lives. We are not living satisfied lives. We are not able to have our needs, wants, and desires met. We are constantly met with blocks. So we are existing very often at a low level of frustration. We're not finding peace. And, and so we're looking for a savior. Now this can take a lot of different forms. It could take on a religious form. And, and so this can become attractive. You can pray to God. <clears throat> you can pray to the angels. You can pray, you can wait for Jesus, the second coming, all that kind of stuff. Or it can take on a political uh, uh, paradigm where you believe a certain candidate or a certain party is going to rescue you and make your life better and easier and it's going to come and, and save the world or whatever. Or it can take on the form uh, in relationships that if I could just find that right person to be with, if I could just find that right relationship if i could just find the one you know it's like i'm asleep and uh, I'm, I'm i'm cinderella at the ball and if prince charming would just recognize me or if i'm prince charming if i could just remember who cinderella is and find cinderella and and match the glass slipper and whatever and so we're looking outside of ourselves instead of within ourselves is this making sense to you so one path is a path of withdrawal one path is a path that says um, in order to deal with all this stuff, I'm going to withdraw from life. And if you get blocked enough throughout your life, if you're frustrated enough, you give up on your desires. You give up on yourself and you start living a secondhand life. Um, you start settling for less while inside your heart you literally are crying out for more. Settling for less but crying out for more. And that's a painful situation. And so we turn, we turn all that stuff off and we just become sort of going through the motions of life. Um, so many people can feel hopeless. They can feel powerless. They can feel, you know, all these various different things. And so what can come along then is also is this spiritual bypass. If I can involve myself in spiritual practices that I believe are improving me, that I believe are helping me to ascend, that I believe are connecting me to God, that I believe are making a difference in the world. And it doesn't matter what that spiritual practice is. It could be going to prayer meetings. It could be meditation. It could be uh, connecting with aliens. It could be channeling. It could be uh, anything, anything. It could be uh, only eating spaghetti for a year. Your spiritual practice is you're only allowed to eat spaghetti. You can change the sauces, but it has to be spaghetti. You have to have spaghetti noodles. And if you eat spaghetti noodles, then this is going to change your vibration and help you. I mean, it, it can be that ridiculous. And you can get people to buy into that. And they think, okay, I'm changing my, my spiritual body because there's something in the spaghetti. Uh, <laughs> but it's not anything where I don't have to deal with the fact that I need to engage in life. 
And so as I've been thinking about this stuff, I thought, you know, I want to make sure that what I'm putting out, I want to make sure for, for my own life, I want to be fully engaged. If there's a problem or if there's a situation, I want to be fully engaged in trying to solve and fix that problem. Um, if there's something that I want, I want to be able to go for it without feeling guilty about it and be fully engaged in the process. And if I don't get it, I don't want to throw a fit. I, I don't want to return to being a nine-year-old and have a temper tantrum. And that's that's a lot of what you see on Facebook, frankly. That's what a lot of what you see is just temper tantrums. And we are seeing temper tantrums come out in adults on a grand scale because so many of our needs, wants, and desires have been blocked because of COVID uh, primarily. And so, um, and so we throw temper tantrums. Nothing wrong with throwing the temper tantrum. I get it. Just be honest about it. <laughs> Don't, don't divert. You don't, you don't have to. Um, but, but so, so what I want to do is I want to offer people things where you can be fully engaged in life. Fully engaged. Uh, and going after, at least on some level, the things of your needs, wants, and desires. But if you've been so blocked, then to be honest, emotionally, inside, you're like a ball of twine that's just tied in so many different knots with so many different experiences where you've had to adapt, where you've been blocked, where you've been stopped, where you've been hindered, where you've had to deal with your frustrations, but it wasn't okay to be frustrated, so you had to suppress your frustration, you had to put on a fake face. Now you're dealing with duplicity within yourself. Now you're not congruent. Now you're dealing with a split within yourself because you got to be one way out here. you got to be another way to your family. you got to be another way in the church. you got to be another way in the job. you got to present yourself a certain way on Facebook. So pretty soon for a lot of people, they wake up and they don't know what they want. They've turned off their needs, wants, and desires. They uh, don't know where to go in life. They're afraid to engage in life. Every time they engage and they get blocked, they think this is going to be like the other times that I engaged and I got blocked. And I'm not going to be able to have. And so they just live in this sort of aura of uh, nervousness, anxiety, depression, frustration. This is where a lot of your mental, um, so-called mental illnesses come from uh, is because you're just depressed because life hasn't turned out for you the way you wanted life to turn out. Now, you throw in tragedy on top of that. You throw in the death of a child, the death of a spouse, um, uh, some kind of trauma where you're a victim of a crime, um, loss of job, whatever kind of traumas that go on in our life and, and the messages that you internalize through that and then you're trying to deal with the pain. I remember when my mom died, you know, even though, uh, I mean, it was sudden and it's just like the rug got jerked out from under me for a few months, right? And so I had to deal with and process. So the challenge at that point was to deal and process the grief, uh, the the need, want, and desire. Sure, I want, needed, wanted my mom back, but on another level, the need, want, and desire was I just want to feel better. I just want to get through this time of grief. And so... So being fully engaged, and so I want to, I, I feel like I'm rambling, but I want to, well, what's new? Um, but I want to encourage you guys uh, that there is a way, like, like, to be fully engaged in life. And I think it's really important for us in the Western world to find uh, avenues and things that are working for us in our life that are helping us to be fully engaged. Now, this brings me to intuition and alchemy and some of the stuff that I put in the description at the top because here's the thing with intuition the word intuition 
the root word of it is tuition. When you think about tuition, what do you think about? College tuition, right? Like paying. So the beginning of the word tuition wasn't so much about payment. It was about enrolling in a course of study. Enrolling in a course of study or about learning. And then the word in means from the inside. So intuition is literally to learn from within. Not all intuition comes from spirit. Not all intuition is supernatural. Uh, all intuition is learning from within. Studying yourself, learning yourself. What, if you're feeling frustrated, what is that frustration telling you? If you're feeling angry, what's that anger telling you? If you're feeling alive, what is that telling you about your life? If you're feeling joy or feeling peace, what is that telling you? What is that teaching you? It's going within. It's, it's, it's undoing this ball of twine that you are, <laughs> that I am from life. And it's understanding, knowing my triggers, knowing how I operate, knowing how I've been patterned and conditioned to think and feel in the world, knowing where I've given up my power to lead and guide and direct my own life, guided by my own authentic needs, wants, and desires, while appropriately and ethically finding strategies to have those needs, wants, and desires met within society. So expressing myself in a way that does no... Uh, Lasting harm to other people. I think it's, I think it's ridiculous to, to, to try to say you're going to do no harm because two people are up for the same job. You go and get the job. Uh, you got the job. It's a great day for you. The other person didn't get the job. It's a bad day for them because they've been blocked. So, so you get the point. But I want to find ways that are legitimate and, and guide my life and lead my own life and not be controlled. Uh, because I'm being a pawn to someone else's needs, wants, and desires. I'm just fitting into someone else's game, and they're using me to get their needs, wants, and desires met. And I'm going to tell you something. This happens a lot. This happens a lot as a pastor. It happens a lot when you're vocal and you're a teacher and putting yourself out there like I do on Facebook or when I was doing it publicly, because people will literally tell you, Aaron, it's okay for you to talk about this, but when you talk about this, it's uncomfortable for me. Um, now, if I asked you, hey, have you been listening and watching? And you say, well, I don't really, you know, I don't jive with, with where you're at right now because it's just not where I'm at in life. That's totally different. But when they come into my space unsolicited, and this happens all the time, they come into my space unsolicited and they say, you talk too much about this. I don't like it when you talk about this. You need to talk about this. Man, they are broadcasting, and I'm sorry if you've done this, but this is something you need to look at. This is some intuition you need to get if this is you. That is extremely narcissistic because what you are saying is you exist for me, for me to feel good. Aaron, you talk too much about religious trauma. We need to get past religious trauma and we need to move on to something else because I don't like it when you talk about religious trauma because it brings my vibration down. Oh, so everybody else that's in pain that's processing their religious trauma, that might need something that's being said out there, shouldn't be talked about. We should discount all those people because it's bringing your vibration down. Oh, I see. I get it. Now, if I'm not awake and aware and directing my own life, and I give in to that, I say, oh, yeah, they're probably right. I probably am talking about it too much. I should probably talk about something else. 
I'm not in control. I'm letting the other person be in control. See what I'm saying? Now, I could take that also and I could look at it consciously. I can make a conscious decision. You know what? I probably am talking too much about religious trauma. It would be good to move on to something else. Um, let's do this. But I'm doing it from a place of consciousness. I'm doing it from a place of awareness. I'm doing it from a place of authenticity of my own needs, wants, and desires. Then I'm in control. I'm steering my own ship. So just be careful, but here, be careful not to let your intuition become so authoritative in your life or in other people's lives or in the world that it becomes law like you are God somehow. Because a lot of your intuitions are coming out of those places of frustration where you're being blocked. And intuitively, if this person would do right, if this situation would change, if they would just fix this, if someone out here would do this, if this situation wasn't what it was, well, intuitively, I know I'd feel better. Well, of course you would, because your need, want, and desire would be met. So intuitively, that's the answer. No, intuitively, that's the path of least resistance. Sometimes intuitively, our intuition leads us into the path of least resistance, and that's not always what's best for us, because sometimes we need to struggle. Sometimes we need to... Uh, uh, because as part of that struggle, we are changing and we are transforming, which brings me then to alchemy. So what is alchemy? Alchemy is the ancient um, science that was the beginning of, of chemistry. I have this little piece of hair that keeps sticking out here. My hair is a mess. <laughs> like all the time. Like like. Anyway, that's for another time. Uh, so alchemy is the is the ancestor of chemistry, just like uh, astrology is the ancestor of astronomy. And so they did all kinds of things with metals and, and chemicals and all kinds of different stuff. And the common understanding of alchemy is that you're turning, you want to take a base substance and turn it into a uh, precious substance. So the, the common thing is you're going to take lead and you're going to turn lead into gold. Now, I want to look at, just as a science, let's say that we're trying to turn lead into gold. There are some presuppositions built into that possibility. Number one, what we're saying is that lead and gold are the same. They are just taking on different forms. That they exist on this spectrum, that they are not different, that they are not totally other than. The, the, the alchemist's goal was not to turn a apple tree into a peach tree or to turn a monkey into a sheep. Uh, it's an important distinction because that recognizes, there's a recognition of species. You have a species of plants, you have a species of animals, but you don't have a species of metals. So what they would say is they're not other than, they exist on this spectrum. One is base and one is um, uh, precious. Exist on a level of vibration. This one's being held at this level of vibration. If we could speed up the vibration, it could be held at this level of vibration. We can turn it from lead into gold. So that's the first principle. The second principle is the principle of correspondences, or as above, so beneath, as within, so without. So in other words... Here's what the ancient alchemists and hermeticists believed. They believed that 
By studying the stars, you can understand personality. By understanding personality, you can understand the stars. That ju- and, and so they had these laws of correspondences where things correspond. So whatever your astrology chart is corresponds to your personality. That's entirely based upon as above, so beneath. Or Mars is retrograde, so damn, we better be careful and not make any decisions because Mars is retrograde and we don't want to make a uh, big decision or whatever because we don't have the energy that's coming from Mars. That's a correspondence. As above, so below. As within, so without. You, you, you tracking with me? Alchemy was based on the same principle. You had uh, basically seven metals, just like you had seven planets, you had seven basic metals in original alchemy, but it corresponded to certain states of being that were going on on the inside. So that what alchemy became about was, if I can study how to turn lead into gold, I can learn how to turn my guilt and my frustration and my shame and everything that's blocking me into something that is precious. Into And, and so... They're working out here to understand how to work within here, and they're working within here to understand how to work out here. Are you tracking with me? Is this making sense? The reason I'm belaboring this point is that because from an alchemical perspective, the spiritual path is not a path of, let me, let's just, this is just an illusion. Let's just let go of our attachments. Let's retreat. Let's spiritually bypass our problems. Let's stay in our closet and pray and hope things change. Let's meditate and hope I raise my vibration enough that I don't care about what's going on in front of me anymore. Um, rather, this, this is the idea that I can work within myself, that I am the metal, that, that what's within me, that the lead is within me, and that I can work within myself a work of transformation that will allow me to take the base material of my emotional and mental well-being and take it through a process that will transform it into gold. And so they would call this the great work. The great work is the work upon yourself. This is the whole basis of the modern Western tarot decks. Um, I don't know why I'm going to say this about tarot. There, there's a misconception out there. Now, now listen to everything I say before you get triggered, because I know there's some people out there who probably think this. They'll probably put that out there. That the tarot images, the tarot deck itself, comes from Egypt. There is absolutely no historical evidence for that whatsoever. None. But what they say is that the teachings of ancient Egypt were encoded in the tarot cards and then handed down. There is a lot of truth to that. So without going too much into it, the tarot deck came out of the Renaissance in Italy. It's very clear. It started out as a deck of playing cards. It was a game. Uh, it was not uh, anything other than that. Now, cartomancy, which is using cards to tell the future, uh, was popular back then. So people would use any kind of deck, tarot deck, whatever, to practice cartomancy. But it wasn't until later that what happened was when they were painting the pictures on the tarot cards, they were taking hermetic wisdom, the, her- the hermetic wisdom, which probably did originate from Egypt, and they were putting it into the cards. 
So the tarot cards themselves represent alchemy. And here's what I mean by that. When you have the magician card, I wish I had it out, I hadn't planned on going here, but when you have the magician card, you have a magician standing there, he's got one hand up like this into a yellow sky, which represents the, the lightning strike of God, the power of God, the power of the divine mind, the power of the superconscious, the power of Christ, however you want to understand it. And then he's pointing at his workbench, and on his workbench, he has a pentacle, he has a cup, he has a sword, and of course, and I think the wand, yeah, he has a wand. Those are the four suits. You have the suit of wands, cups, pentacles, and uh, I don't know. I forgot which one I didn't mention, but, but you get it. So you have the four suits on the table. So his workbench is the four suits. The four suits represent four different aspects of our internal world. And so the idea of the magician is the magician is going to perform magic, but his workbench is going to be everything within himself. And so the great work or the real magic is to make change within yourself, to be able to take the lead and turn it into gold, to be able to take all that frustration and channel it in a direction, process it and channel it in a direction that where you still move forward towards this self-actualization of your authentic self. So that there is this incredibly wonderful, incredibly powerful pathway of self-transformation, of individual alchemy, of learning how to turn your own base elements into gold, of intuition, of being taught from within by studying yourself and knowing yourself, knowing your patterns and knowing your triggers, knowing where you're surrendering your power, knowing the bullshit that you tell yourself. Because nobody ever really says, hey, I'm surrendering my power and letting other people control me, and, and I'm not doing my own willing and thinking for myself, so therefore, by default, I'm doing the will of others, and I'm thinking the thoughts of others. Nobody wants to admit that to themselves. Why? Because it's too painful for the ego. Uh, <laughs> so at some point, you got to realize where you are telling yourself, you are supporting your own negative behaviors, you are supporting your own negative patterns with all the excuses and justifications for why you are where you are because you're trying to avoid the pain and frustration of accepting the fact that life didn't turn out the way you wanted or that you're being blocked from getting your needs, wants, and desires met. Maybe you're too shamed for having needs, wants, and desires. Maybe your needs, wants, and desires are coming through that ball of twine that your inner person is all twisted and tied up. And so those needs, wants, and desires come out in a twisted fashion. And when you see them come out in that twisted fashion, you think, oh, this is, this is, by the way, this is why I think psychologically there was so much um, sexual um, uh, abuse, uh, exploitation, within the uh, priesthood because they had to turn off that need, want, and that, that very basic biological need, want, and desire and turned it into something evil. And so you have all this constriction and twisted thinking. So when that desire, biological desire, begins to manifest itself, it, it goes through that twisting, if, it, if you understand what I'm saying, and, and coming out through that suppression and coming through that twisting of ideas uh, about the body and about original sin and about sex and what it means to be a priest so that when they look at it, they can only think about it. Well, I can't have it through legitimate means. See, what happened to the priesthood was 
we took away from them legitimate means of having that desire satisfied. So therefore, they have to begin to look at illegitimate ways to get it satisfied because that energy is not going to go away. And because we cut them off from the legitimate pathway, the only pathway to having that need, want, desire fulfilled is the illegitimate pathway of sexual exploitation and sexual abuse. Okay. Is this making sense to you? So the, 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 the great work then is to work on yourself. The great work then is how do I transform all this stuff? And what is the beginning? And like, okay, Aaron, how do I do this? You know, give me the pathway. Give me the microwave. Give me, give me 30 seconds. Give me a, a pattern in 30 seconds that's going to make me feel better. And that's why the reasons fad spiritualities are so popular is because there's, they, they promise you liberation without obstacle. <laughs> and you're tired of fighting obstacles. So, oh, this is wonderful. Um, I don't have to do any work. Um, but what I'm inviting you into is, is the great work. So where do I begin? You begin by telling yourself the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Not having to lie to yourself anymore. Why do we lie to ourselves? We lie to ourselves sometimes because we judge. So this is why not judging is so important. Wherever you're at, whatever you're experiencing, it's okay. Like your mantra needs to be, be even though I am stuck, uh, even though I am frustrated, even though I'm angry, even though I'm using scrolling Facebook as my means of escape, even though I'm watching 10 YouTube video, uh, videos a day as a way of escape because I'm frustrated and I don't like where I'm at, even though those things are true, I am okay. It is okay that I am here. Even though these things are true, I totally and completely love and accept myself. See, that's letting go of judgment. Then things can begin to emerge. You can begin to look at some things. So that's the first thing is you have to let go of judgment in order to be able to tell yourself the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that it's okay. So if you could practice those two things, I'm going to not judge myself from where I'm at. I'm okay even though I have these problems. I'm okay even though I'm in this place. I'm okay even though this situation is going on in my life. I'm not going to judge myself. I'm okay even though I feel frustrated. I'm okay even though I got angry. Do you, do you see what I'm, I'm, I'm getting at? So I'm letting go of judgment so that I'm freed up to tell myself the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And then begin to look for, begin to give yourself permission again to desire, to have needs, to have wants, to have desires, to validate and affirm those things within yourself. And to begin to think, what are some ways, what are some changes that I can make within myself and within my life in order to have those needs, wants, and desires met? You do those things, you are already beginning the alchemical process of changing your state of being. Because you're no longer in denial if you're telling yourself the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You're no longer in judgment, so some of those feelings of guilt and shame and things are going to go away. And you're beginning a pathway towards a new future and self-expression when you're honest about what really drives us in this life and in this world. So there's some alchemical changes, just simple things, changes in the way you think and the way you examine yourself 
intuition, learning from yourself that can help you. And that brings me to the last part of this, and that is the New Age. And I, I just want to throw this out. I want to throw this out for people who were part of Christian churches, uh, denominations, families. You identified yourself at one point in time as a Christian, and then something happened, and you began to no longer feel comfortable in those clothes, no longer began to feel comfortable identifying with that. And so you began to let a lot of that go. And now you're on, uh, you're in a different place, maybe looking for a different spiritual path, maybe not sure what's going on. Um, and, and this is where, uh, you know, there, there could be so much fear and so much angst and so much loss when you're going through this process that you're going through. Um, but I want, I want to throw a spin on something. Um, we all know that, hopefully you know the parable of the wheat and the tares. If you don't, Jesus tells a story about a man who goes out and plants wheat in his field, and while he slept, an enemy came and sowed tares or, or weeds among the wheat. And when the plants began to come up, the owner of the plantation looks at it, and the workers say, let's go pull out the weeds. And he says, don't pull out the weeds, because if you pull out the weeds now, you're going to pull up the wheat as well. But let the two grow together. And when the harvest has come, then you can take the weeds out and you can separate them. And so you have this idea of the wheat and the tares growing together. Now, and then this expectation of harvest when there's going to be this separation from the wheat and the tares. And so we used to preach this or we used to teach this that uh, particularly under the frame of certain uh, misinterpretations of what Paul said in Second Thessalonians and Bible prophecy, that there's coming a great falling away, there's coming a great delusion, and we're expecting the wheat and the tares, and the tares are going to be those who fall away from Christ, the tares are going to be those that leave the church, and the wheat are going to be those who remain faithful, who remain in the fold, and who remain faithful. That's who the wheat is, and the tares are all those who departed, who made a departure from the faithfulness to that to which they were once faithful towards. So that was that was the idea in the frame. And then on top of that, we were preached to or given these expectations of revival, worldwide revival. And so the idea was there'd be this great massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders and miracles. And people would begin to believe about Jesus the way we believe about Jesus, they would begin to repent of their sins, their behaviors would begin to change. And because the behaviors of more people were changing, and because they had Jesus in their heart, then society is going to begin to change. And the church is going to come out and be victorious. That was kind of the idea with it. Now, um, let's flip it around. What if it's the other way around? What if the, the wheat... Or what if the tares are those who keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, but calling it faithfulness? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, but calling it faithfulness. In other words, if our goal, our need, want, and desire as a Christian community, when I was within it, was to see massive revival come, but we keep doing the same thing, believing the same thing, acting the same way, perpetuating the same patterns 
over and over and over and over, then we are just stuck in what's called in psychology magical thinking that somehow it's just going to eventually work. And so this is where the driving came in with the church because if I can drive, it's not that what we believe is wrong or incomplete or not working. I don't even like wrong. Let's just say it's, it's not working for us. It's not, it's not even that what we're doing is not working for us. It's not that what we believe is not working for us. It's not that what the church has held for 2000 years is not working. It's that we're not doing it hard enough. We're not believing hard enough. We're not praying hard enough. We're not, and so what we do is we, we say, okay, let's take the same set of patterns. And instead of looking at the patterns and trying to change the patterns, we've got the same set of patterns. Let's put more energy into those patterns and let's do it harder. Let's do it more. So if you're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, and you're not willing to change the pattern of what you believe you need to do in order to solve the problem, then what you'll do is you'll just try to put more energy into the same pattern. And so that's what happened in a lot of these places. They're just driving energy into this, saying, if we just do this harder, if we just do this more, then this is going to happen. And we do that in life. We end up working a solution to a problem that isn't the solution. But because we can't see anything else, because we're locked into our own patterns of thinking and feeling, that ball of twine I was talking about earlier on the inside of us, because we're, we're tied up in that, we just keep putting more energy into that, working the same thing over and over and over again, only harder, thinking if we put more energy into it, we'll get a better result. What I'd like to suggest is, is that there needs to be and needed to be, now I'm speaking corporately about Christianity and religion, but you can apply this in any area of your life. There needed to be a break with the pattern. There needed to be a break with the pattern. And this is what's happening. People are waking up and realizing, hey, this doesn't make sense. This isn't working anymore. This isn't working for me in my life. So when you're telling yourself the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and you let go of judgment, Here's what you can do. You can look at desires in your heart and not judge them when they come up as right or wrong. Don't ask yourself the question, when I have this desire, is this desire right or is this desire wrong? Instead, ask yourself the question, is this desire authentic? Is it genuine? Is it real? And if it's authentic and if it's genuine and if it's real and the answer is yes, now you have something on your workbench within yourself that you can work with to change your life because that's where your fuel is going to come from is within desire. So stop judging. It's a problem with Christianity. We judge everything through the lens of right and wrong, good and evil. That's it. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it good? Is it evil? We might change the language. Is it the will of God or is it not the will of God? Is it the perfect will of God or the acceptable will of God? But, but we do it. Instead of being authentic, instead of being truthful, Jesus said the truth would set you free, right? So is this an authentic desire? And then the next question you want to ask yourself is, is the strategy that I am implementing to get this desire met, is it working? Is what I've been doing in my life working? And if it's not working, then maybe I shouldn't get up tomorrow and just think if I can do the same thing 
with more energy and more oomph and more intensity, I might get a different result. Maybe, and this is where alchemy comes in, this is where transformation comes in, this is where intuition comes in, this is where connecting with the Christ who is within you comes in. Not a religious Christ, but the mind of God, the, the, your authentic self, your divine self, who you are, right? Breaking with the group consensus and saying, I'm going to implement, I'm going to think differently, I am going to implement something else. I am going to do something differently. And that's what's happening with leaders and people all over the world. People that were asleep in churches, people that were asleep to their lives, people who are controlled at some level by group consensus and group think, are, their desires are waking up. Their desire for authenticity is waking up. Their desire to change their life is waking up. Their desire to do something different is waking up. But they're meeting with those, with that ball of twine from all the times that they've been blocked from getting those desires met. They've been blocked from getting those wants met, those needs met. And so, but, but they're realizing the old is no longer working. So back to the separation between the wheat and the tares. So what's happening then is, is they are growing up, but there is going to be a separation. Because there just is an overlapping right now of the age of Pisces and the age of Aquarius. Jesus told his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He said that as he was initiating the age of Pisces. And he tells his disciples, he says, when you see the man carrying the pitcher of water, when he goes into the upper room, <laughs> when you see Aquarius ascend and go into place, then know that all things have been made ready. So the age of Pisces was there to prepare us for the age of Aquarius. And Jesus was with us low until the end of the age. But And Jesus also said, it's expedient to you if I go away because then the Spirit will come. I'm going to get into all of that stuff, by the way, Tuesday night. Not going to want to miss it. Uh, Tuesday night, I'm going to do a live with Vanessa R. Brooks. Uh, we're going to be back. Uh, more truth-telling from Vanessa and Aaron. Uh, but we'll be doing a live, and we're going to be talking about these very things. We're going to be talking about this awakening that's happening. We're going to be talking about religious trauma and religious deconstruction. And we're going to be talking about uh, the departure um, anyway, it's going to be an exciting discussion. It's going to be a raw discussion. It'll be a powerful discussion. And that, my beloved brothers and sisters, is where I'm going to leave you today. Um, so I didn't, I, it's so hard for me to be in my thoughts and, uh, I'm so in my inner world while I'm talking that I don't even become aware of the comments on the screen until I come out and put my focus out here again. So it's really, really hard for me to, uh, uh, Look at the comments. I see Vanessa coming up right there. I'm so excited. Vanessa, it's going to be awesome. Uh, I can't wait to do it either. Um, so anyway, we'll let you more know, let you know more about that in terms of time. I'm not sure we've set a time. Uh, but it'll be Tuesday night. We're going to be doing that. Um, God bless you. Have a terrific and wonderful day the rest of your day. Uh, I can't wait to go back and look at uh, some of the comments. I hope this was helpful for you. I do welcome and solicit. I am soliciting and asking for your input so you're not coming into my space and offering it unsolicited, unsolicited in an unsolicited way. Uh, so please feel free to uh, give me some feedback. Um, and God bless you guys. Namaste.